morning. All right, come on. Good morning. Well, I just saw Papa Chris Perez. Where is he? Welcome back, buddy. Congrats. All right, let's get let's get ready. Let's get ready. Come on. Let's get situated. Let's lean in. Tell the person next to you enough of your bochinche. Let's let me listen to the word right now. Amen. You can talk to me later at lunch. God bless you, pero cállate. Come on. I'm excited. This, this message was supposed to be last week, so it's fermented a little bit. <laughs> Woo! Father, we just thank you for your word, God. I ask that you would prepare right now, Lord. Touch the speaker and the listener with your spirit, God. With your power, Lord God. Prepare us, Lord God, to listen. Prepare us to grow closer to you. Prepare us to hear your word and be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Here's, the, here, here's a, uh, just a little quote I got for you this morning. We ready? Everybody's ready? Okay. Don't shine. This is C.S. Lewis. Don't shine so that others can see you. Let's try that again. <laughs> Rewind. Cut the, cut the tape. Don't shine so that others can see you. Shine so that through you others can see him. Amen. Welcome to our hashtag 30 day plus an extra week because the snowstorm canceled our service challenge. Our challenge last week was getting snowed in and getting dug out. I hope you had a great day staying home and staying warm. Somebody in my family told me God brought that storm because after last message, no one was going to come to church that week anyway. So I'm very happy to see some of you came back. I'm very excited about that. So let's recap real quick, amen, because I think it's important. So what we've been doing since January is we've been putting together the 2016 Godly Mix. Amen? For where my 80s heads? This is the mixtape for... All right, there's a couple of us. All right, never mind. So, so, let, so, so let's recap. The things that we focused on this past month, they, they weren't just for the 30-day challenge. They were for godly living for the rest of the year. Amen? Say amen so I know you're with me. Come on. So, so they were for life. They were for living life and living an abundant life and living a life that God wants us to live, right? Being, walking in God's way. So the things that we, the first ingredient was prayer. Right? And I hope by now that you're developing that. Listen, that's a vital ingredient in our life with God. My, my, um, in my relationship with my wife, I have to text her a couple times a day. Right? It's just, if I don't, it's weird. Right? And if I don't, it's, it's because maybe one of us is angry. Maybe, anybody been there? Right? We got to have, if we don't do the texting thing, if we don't stay in touch, then, then we can't build a relationship. Prayer is like that. We need to stay connected. Amen? That's what I want you to see. I'm not talking about everybody needs that war room prayer. I mean, that's great if you can and do it, and that's awesome. But, but the prayer that I'm trying to get us to, to, to walk in is an everyday, daily thing, a connection. Amen? 
I wouldn't have a healthy relationship with my wife if we didn't connect. And, and we can't have a healthy relationship with God unless we do that. I, I see it like this. I don't know if this is true for women, but for men, this is true. Probably for a lot of us. How many of you, when you get something new, you don't use the instructions or the directions? I don't know if, if do women do this too? No? Oh yes, you do? I thought it was just a man thing. Like we, that's, that's an insult for us to open that book. And so we'll go at something for hours, right men? Something that should have been built 15 minutes, we add it for hours and it's only, listen, it's only if I can't make it work or after I can't put it together that I resort to pulling out. Give me that stupid paper that comes with this thing. It's stupid too. It's not even good, right? Give me that. What's that stupid book? What's that stupid thing that came with this thing? It's only after that I turn, and, and, and it's only, I know that's dumb, but it's only usually when I can't make sense of how it should go together or how it should work. Then I turn to the instructions because the one that made the thing is able to tell me how to use the thing. Come on, we're getting deep. Unfortunately, many of us are like that in prayer. It's only after we've messed up the thing. It's only after we can't figure out where everything should go. It's only after the kids aren't talking to you, the spouse is angry, somebody's sick, the deal fell through, the balance is low, the bills are due. It's only after that we resort to the one who created the thing to tell us how to run the thing. Amen? I'm trying to get us in the habit of connecting before. Usually for me, it only takes a quick look at the directions after we've messed everything up. It only takes a quick look to say, ah, I had that on the left that belongs on the right. I had that up on top when it should have been on the bottom. Usually only takes a quick glance to see that you have something. Prayer is coming under the direction of the one who created the thing. Amen? Okay, second ingredient of our 2016 godly mix was fasting. And we talked about, you know, fasting meals, and we talked about fasting our favorite things or fasting social media. We talk, Let me just say a, a quick thing about that. It should be something that we do more than once a year. The next time we talk about fasting shouldn't be January 2017. Amen? It should be, listen, it, it's, it's about commitment. Fasting is about commitment. Fasting builds character. It, and it's no secret that modern Christianity is commitment phobic. Can we say amen? amen? We got commitment issues. We change churches like underwear. We change relationships like socks. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it, we got commitment issues. We, we got daddies raising other kids' daddies because some daddies won't commit to raise their own kids. Come on. We got commitment issues. We got Christians living together, not married. It's cool. Fasting tests our commitments. I don't know about you, but whenever I decide to fast, somebody brings in free food. <laughs> Never fails. As a matter of fact, if I wanted to trick God, I could just say I'm fasting today, and I know somebody will bring in free lunch, free cookies, free bagels, free everything at work. It just works that way. Why? Because fasting is a test of our commitment. Amen? 
I have some guys at work that they're committed to, you know, healthy and they're committed to losing weight and being healthy. And and they fast more than we Christians fast. And they'll be committed, man. They'll sit around with us and we're eating fried, you know, whatever we're eating. And they're fasting and they're good with it because they're committed to their healthy lifestyle. Listen, oh man, I know plenty of Christians more committed to their bodies than they are to God. You'll miss church for anything, but miss a Zumba class? No way. Or miss chest day at the gym? Nuh-uh. When we fast, we practice the discipline of commitment. You still with me? I love you. I think, listen, I think every once in a while we should drop off of social media. I don't think you should wait for, for us to do a challenge. I think every once in a while you need to say, whoa, let me cut this thing off for a minute and tell your 5,000 followers, I'll see you in a week. I'm signing off for a little bit. Every once in a while, we need to kind of break and just take a social uh, a media break, a video game break, the games on our phones, take a little break. Listen, this is an observation that my wife and I have made. My wife and I love to go out to eat. That's like our, that's a secret to a healthy marriage. We go on a lot of dinner dates. We just love to do it. We've been doing this since we were teenagers, and, and I don't plan on stopping. Amen? When we go to restaurants, we see so many families... The entire family sitting at a table, it's a beautiful thing, but not one word is said in between them. Everybody's on their things. Every, and we watch, and everybody, and, and we're like, not a word. The waiter comes, and he has to interrupt them. Excuse me. Oh, yeah, 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 hamburger, yeah, yeah, whatever he wants, I don't know. We're so busy checking our status, right? I said this last year in a message. I, I just feel, I get so crazy. I want to tap him on the shoulder. And I said, listen, your status is you have no relationship with your kids. Your status is you have unhealthy relationships with men or women that are not your spouse. And that's no bueno for you. Your status is you've lost the art of communication. You've lost the art of dialogue and words. Your status is, you, you, your identity is as fake as your Instagram. You're caught up. You're caught up on who follows you and who hearts what you post. And that's not the status you should be concerned about. Your status should be, where's my status with my kids? What's my status with my wife? Where, where do I stand with my God? Where do I stand in what he's called me to do? What have I done with what he's given me? Here's a test for you. What do the last four selfies say about your purpose? Hey, you don't even want to look at your phones right now. You're like... What do the last four selfies say about your purpose? we need to be checking so fasting is about making commitments to God to train us for bigger commitments okay enough say enough enough move on okay don't tell me what to do the third ingredient in our in our in our our mix was worship 
It was resetting worship. It was redirecting our worship. And we, we said it already. Worship is more than singing. Worship, we're wired for worship. All we do is worship. During that week, uh, the, 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 the challenge was to watch what you were worshiping. You don't raise your hand, but did anyone catch themselves in act of worship that wasn't directed toward God? Improper relationships or uh, a fling or uh, pornography. Worship. Could pornography be worship? That's a whole other message. Let's leave that alone. Did you catch yourself trusting something or someone or some system other than God? And were you able to reset it and forget it? Were you able to redirect your worship? Say, God, I'm sorry, you first before him. You first before her. You first before that. You first before me. Amen? That, that challenge alone will change your life. God said, seek me first and everything else will be added unto you. Okay, so the last message we looked at the example of King Nebuchadnezzar. Anybody remember that? Oh no, that's the message you wanted to forget. Nebuchadnezzar was an ungodly man who had godly encounters. Romans 5a says he loved us while we were still ungodly. God proves his own word with the life of this king. I love that. He didn't do anything to deserve these encounters with God. But there were opportunities to trust God. Can you, can you post this in your, in your little things? Your experiences with God are opportunities to trust God. He never earned one of those uh, encounters with God, but, but, but God met him and God loved on him and God spoke to him with prophetic warnings and with dreams. Amen? How I many you know God still speaks to you in dreams? While I was preparing this message, I had a dream. I was in a church. This was crazy. I was in a church. It looked like I was in a church, and I got there early like I normally do, and I was kind of getting ready. And then at one point, um, all of a sudden, the church started filling up with zombies. I know you say I'm playing too much Call of Duty. I wasn't. I wasn't. I promise. That night, I did not. And, and, um, and the, walking there, just... And they start walking in, and all of a sudden, you know, I got into game mode. I said, I've seen movies. I watch Walking Dead. I know what to do. It's head, headshot and double tap. Ba, ba, ba. And so I was, I was feeling brave, and I was getting ready. I said, oh, I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to take these dudes out. I'm ready. Right? And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. They're not what you think they are. And I said, but, I said, but God, they're, 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 they're zombies. They're walking dead. They're zombies. And God said, yeah, they're walking dead. They're just looking for life. They're coming in looking for life. And, and I started thinking about it in the dream. If, you, if you've ever seen one of these zombie movies, you know, maybe some of you haven't. Maybe, you know, maybe you're living under a rock someplace. But like, you know, in, in the zombie movies, the walking dead, they just wander around aimlessly, right? There could be 46 of them in this corner. And they're not doing anything until they spot life someplace. And so if one of you over there cough, it's like, and then all of them start walking toward, toward wherever there's life. The walking dead are searching for life. Oh, come on. This is powerful. Listen, listen. I ain't playing games. Listen to, listen to this. 
And so, and so when, 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 the, when, when the walking dead see life, they're attracted to it and they go to it and they're drawn to it. And when they get to it, what do they do? They, they don't know what else to do but to tear it apart and eat it. They just want the life that's in that thing. Think about this spiritually, please. They don't know what to do. It's not like they're hungry brains and want to eat it. No, they get to the life and they just want to take the life out of that. And they're ripping it and they eat it and they just want to take the life. And so, and, so, and so God said to me, I felt God was saying, listen, set boundaries. Set boundaries, listen, so that they can't overtake you and take all the life out of you. This is for all of us in ministry. Because the walking dead see life and they want to take all the life out of you. He, and he says, set boundaries. And so really quickly in this little church that I was in, I, I put up these barriers and I put this so nobody could come up. And I, and I set these boundaries and then I just spoke life. And then the more I spoke life, the more came. That's how you build the church, people. The more life, the more came. Oh man, that was, that was powerful. But God said, speak, but set boundaries so they can't get to you and tear you apart and take the life because they don't know any better. That's a word for somebody. But listen, go back to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. After, after that king acknowledged God, God restored him to, to greatness, right? And, and we, we talked about that the last message. God restored him back to power and God even added greatness. And that's a word for somebody here today. God is working on your restoration and he's even throwing in some greatness. God made you and God will make you better. Say amen. So today I want to share a little bit about a different kind of man. We talked about this ungodly man who had godly encounters. Today, I want to talk to you about a man in, in the scriptures who had a different heart. And while it's amazing to see God use a man like the king from the last message and how God can soften his heart and shape the character of a man until he remakes him and makes him better, I want to show you what God can do with a man who, or a woman who's already, or a young person, or a child who's already coming after the heart of God. Because while there are still some in here this morning who are like the king, I'm willing to bet there are more men and women in here this morning who have already surrendered, who have already are following hard after God. You're already pursuing God's will. You already want what God wants. I, I don't want to always come up here and yell at those who are like the king. I, I have to come in here sometimes and encourage and strengthen those that are after the king. Amen? Come on, if you're after the king, stand up and sit down. Say, that, that's me, I'm after the king. Come on. I'm after the king. I'm after the king. Nothing's going to stop me. I'm after the king. So, so, so let's give you the final ingredient in our 2016 mix for godly living. There was prayer. There was fasting. There was worship. The next ingredient, the next challenge, the next thing we want to add to this mix is service works walking it out amen see we know we all know too many Christians who are Christians by name only uh oh Christians by membership I belong to a church Christians by association I hang around the church Christians by connection I go to my wife's church I go to my parents' church. I go to my grandmother's church. Have you ever tried to swipe the... Have you ever tried to get on the train with somebody else's swipe? 
and then explain to the officer that catches you by the neck that, no, my wife has an easy pass. My wife has a metro card. My parents have a metro card. They're going to say, what? Uh, I'm going to leave that alone. I'll drop that right there. The challenge for the next 48 weeks is to put the word, to put the mix to work and walk it out. Walk it out. Amen? We want to put it to work. We want to put the word to work with a heart and a mind after the king. Now, understand something before we jump into that real quick. And that's that, I'm going to close with that passage. But I want you to understand something real quick because I don't want you to leave here twisted. You cannot earn God's grace. You can't work your way to God's favor. I hear people say this all the time. I figure if I do enough good things, it'll outweigh the sinvergüenza things that I do. It'll outweigh my bad. You know, as long as, like, like God is looking at us with this meter, this way, the scale, and we, as long as we do enough good things, then the bad things won't be so bad. That's not how the kingdom of God works. Somebody say amen. You, you can't pay God to make him love you. He just does. That I can't even explain. I don't even understand that. Why? Why does God just, I can't, I can't make him love me. He just does. I, don't, I can't even explain that. But the word says it's, it's faith alone that saves us, but faith that's active should be accompanied by service. You ready? Ephesians 2, give me, that, give me that scripture of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That's the other one. If, <laughs> 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. See, if it was works, then some of us could say, oh, come on, but I pastor a church, I run this ministry, I feed the homeless, I give people on the train, I give, and we can add all this stuff, and that's why God loves No, God loves you and the guy that did nothing. And God loved you before you did nothing. Amen? So it's not by works, so that, not a result, so that no one could boast. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So... We're not saved by what we do, but because we're saved, we do. You, you got that? It's good teaching. We're not saved by what we do, but because we're saved, we do. Say amen. amen. James 2.17. Faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Say dead. I know too many dead Christians. Titus 3.8. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. To devote themselves to good works. Ephesians 2.10, now that's the other one. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we were created to do something, amen, to do good works. So I'm going to close with this passage of scripture. I want to tell you a quick story about this man after the king that I was talking about. This is another one of my favorite, favorite passages. You're going to love this story, I hope. The man who was dramatically different than the king that we spoke of last message, his name was Nehemiah. You can find this story in the book of Nehemiah. 
And you should read it to make sure I'm not making everything up. People in churches do that today. American Christianity does that today. They make stuff up. They heard somebody preach something and they get up and preach it because it sounded good. And it got a lot of amens. But when you look for it in the word, it's not there. Be careful. Amen. So the book of Nehemiah, let me set it up for you. The story starts so humbly. Throughout history, let me kind of set this up for you real quick. God has always told his people throughout history, this is Old Testament theology, when you sin, when you live in disobedience, when you live against the way that I want you to live or against the plans that I have for you, you will find yourselves scattered and in captivity. This is what God always told his, his, his people, Israel. He said, when you live the way I don't want you to live, if you continue to live your own way and you want to do things your way, you don't want to listen to the plans that I have for you and walk in the way that I want, you, I will let your enemies scatter you. And that sounds harsh, right? Like God will let my enemies have victory over me. Isn't that harsh? Let me show you something how that is awesomely loving. Not not so harsh as we may sound. Can we kill that heat? I'm dying up in here. (laughs) Look, look, look. God is saying then and God is saying now to his people then and to his people now. God is saying, I won't let you live comfortably in your sin. Yeah, that that warrants a tight lip. I will not let you live comfortably in your sin. We read throughout the scriptures then that God uses Israel's enemies to scatter them. They're taken into captivity again and again. Did you know that God will use your enemies to put you in your right place? That'll mess with your theology. You say, I'm I'm God's anointed. I can't be touched. And my enemies are having victory over you. Check your life. God will use your enemies to put you in your right place. Eso está bueno. So God is showing his people when we're caught up, listen, when we're caught up in a lifestyle that he doesn't approve of, when we're caught up in a lifestyle that he doesn't have for us, we become slaves to our sin. Isn't that what happens? I know one of you, you know, one somebody has sinned once at one point, right? You understand. You know somebody that sinned once, right? And you saw how they just become captive to that sin and they become slaves to that sin, right? It changes you, doesn't it? And so that's what's happening here. So the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and all of the Jews were deported from Jerusalem. So the Babylonians came in, tore down the walls, attacked Jerusalem and took all the Jews as slaves. And and this king took this bunch of Jews to his place. This king took this bunch of Jews to that. Jerusalem was a ghost town. It was almost wiped off the map. All of God's people were deported out by their enemies. They were almost erased from history. So King Nebuchadnezzar that we spoke of last time, he was a Babylonian king. When Babylon attacked Jerusalem, they took all the Jews into captivity and into their lands. Now, eventually the Jews became at home in the foreign land. You follow Follow me. Listen, this is important. Eventually, because God will always set uh, a time period, and God said for the next 50 years, sometimes he said for the next 30 years, sometimes he said for the next 70 years, you're going to live as slaves in, in another man, in your enemy's land. It's harsh, but it's because God loves us so much that he said, oh, come on, man. So, so, so those people, they, start, they ended up, and, and they, they grew up in, in, in 
Babylonia, in, in Persia, in all these different places. And so they had kids there and they married, intermarried there. And, and their kids had kids there. And, and so they became part of the life there. The, some of them had good jobs eventually. Some of them, you know, were able to be under, out of slavery, but still living in the enemy's world. But they ended up having good jobs and whatever. So at this point now, 70 years had passed. I love that God always puts an expiration date on your storms and your trials. Come on, say amen. amen. Some of you are going through things and you're like, when is this going to end? Know that God has an expiration date on this storm. Oh, you don't know where it is sometimes. You don't know when it's going to come. But one day the shackles fall off and you're free. And you're like, time to do over. Time to start again. Amen. So at this point, 70 years had passed, the expiration date had expired, and they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. They were free. But out of 2 to 3 million Jews, only like 2% of them returned to Jerusalem. Why? Because sometimes we get comfortable where we don't belong. Come on, I'm talking to somebody here today. Sometimes we get comfortable where we don't belong. God grants us grace and gives us do-overs, but sometimes we stay where we are too long. So at this point, those that came back to Jerusalem, they had been back now for a hundred years. But there was such a small amount of them, they were never able to rebuild the walls. They were never able to rebuild the city to restore the gates. They, they restored the temple a little bit, but not back to its glory because an unwalled city was unprotected in those times. Living in a city with no walls back then, it's like having a house with no doors. So, so that you'd understand that. Amen, Emmy. It's like having a house with no... How many of you, you know, would put like all your expensive stuff out and leave your computers out and everything if your house had no doors? You understand? That means anybody could just walk right in. Oh, thank you. Oh, I'll take the laptop and I'll take the iPad and I'll take the sofa. Try a sofa. Bang. Right? Anybody, if it has no walls, then... And, and so that's how Jerusalem was at this point. It was a city with no walls, with no defense. And so the people lived in constant stress and men were in constant fear for their wives and for their kids because the enemy could just come in and say, I like your wife, I'm going to take her. And take her hostage and take her as a slave. And so understand the stress now that God's people have been living in because they haven't been able to rebuild the walls. You got me? You understand where we are? And so one day, uh, someone from, from Nehemiah's people, some from the Jews, they come to visit. It says his brother comes to visit, and Nehemiah asks him, so how are we doing, man? How's our people back in Jerusalem? How's Jerusalem doing? How's the, the land, the motherland, you know, how's it doing? And he gets this bad report. He says, man, he tells Nehemiah, the people are just surviving. He said, they're in trouble, and they're full of shame. And, and Jerusalem, all the walls are still destroyed. And its gates are all have been destroyed by fire. And listen, listen. This is what happens with a man that's after, after the king. Nehemiah 1.4, it says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. And I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. See, God put a burden on Nehemiah's heart. And so he, he, he started praying, and, and, and once he heard that Jerusalem was, was an unwalled city, that his people were just surviving, it broke his heart. And he couldn't live with that any longer. 
He prayed for a season. The commentators believe it was about four months. So Nehemiah's prayer was probably like, Lord, either take this burden from my heart or show me what to do about it. Anybody ever had a burden on your heart? Something that breaks your heart, something that bothers you, something that you really can't live with anymore. And so you, you pray about it and you say, God, something has to happen. Either take this burden from me or, or show me what I can do. See, there's faith and then there's faith in action. Watch, watch what happens. This is a great story. I promise. Lean in, lean in. Chapter 2, he's prayed up now, he's prayed, he's fasting, he's put all the ingredients in the master mix, and he's ready to, to, to drop the beat, right? So he's prayed up, he goes, and he asks God for favor, and so now he steps out. And so he, was, he worked in the palace of the king, he was the cupbearer, the wine bearer to the king. That was a very cushy job, he got to eat everything the king ate, he got to drink everything the king drank. The only problem, if somebody tried to poison the king, he's going to die, because he was the sipper. And then he gave it, and if, if he didn't die, the king drank it. And, but, but that means he's eating the best, he's drinking the best. It was a pretty cushy job, and it made him really close. He had a good relationship with the king. Watch, watch how God sets things up. So one day, after he's prayed up, he brings the king his wine, and he says, here, here's your wine. And, and he's, he's not who he normally is. He's, he's, been, he's been struggling. He's been wrestling with God. He's been praying with God. And the king says, what's wrong? Why is your face so sad? Understand, in that time, he could have been killed for not being happy in the presence of the king. Because that's how this worked back then. But the king tells him, what's wrong? Why are you so sad? And, and he says, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Speaking to the king like that was dangerous. But he, he's already prayed and God is, is encouraging him. Amen. Sometimes we got to step out in faith and do what's dangerous. Come on. Somebody needs to hear that today. So the king tells him, the king could have said, off with this dude's head. I don't like his attitude. He's making my wine taste bad. Instead, he says, the king says, well, what do you want me to do? What are you requesting? I mean, you know, it's awesome when the king asks you what you want. He says, what are you requesting? Now, this is the moment he's been praying for. This is the opportunity he's been asking God for. And so he says, if it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in your sight, send me that I might rebuild it. Side note, prayer does not build a good reputation. His faithfulness built the reputation with the king. I get tired of people always telling me, I'm a Christian, I got God's favor. No, God's favor is on his faithfulness. All right, that was just for one, for one of you. God gives favor to the faithful. If he was a derelict at work and he said to the king, if I found favor in your sight, you know, send me. The king would say, you're a bum. You're, um, you're dead, you know. But instead he says, what, what can I do? And so God gives him favor and so the king goes, the, the king says, okay, he sees God's favor and he goes for it. Look what he does. He says, not only send me, but while you're at it, write me a letter to all the kings that I'm going to pass on the way from this land. Because he was miles and miles away from, from Jerusalem. So he says, write me a letter to all the kings on the way so that I could have safe passage. Oh, and while you're at it, give me a Home Depot credit card. That's what he says. 
He says, give me a letter to Asaph, who's the keeper of the king's forest, letting him know that he has to give me all the wood, all the materials, everything I need to build the gates of the city and to build a house where I would live in. How you know that's bold? He says, give me letters to give me safe passage through all the enemy's ground and give me an unlimited Home Depot charge account. And so the king granted me what I asked, he said, for the good hand of the Lord was upon me. You got to get this. When you go after the king, the king pays your way. And so I loved what just happened here. We need to see this in our lives. God put a burden on our heart to do something. It's a ministry. It's, it's something wrong that you have to make right. It's something that's, that you've been willing to work at to make better. Whatever it is, whatever God breaks, whatever breaks your heart, whatever you feel heavy about, that thing that you complain about so much, maybe God is calling you to do something about it, to make it better. That ministry that you have issues with, maybe God is calling you to make it better. That, that, that situation, that, that whatever it is that's breaking your heart, maybe God is calling you to do something about it, whatever it is, amen? So Nehemiah says, through me, God is going to correct a problem that's been around for a hundred years. For a hundred years, God's people have lived in Jerusalem and they never rebuilt the, the, the gates, they never fixed the walls. He says, I'm going to do it. I don't have time to go through the whole story. I, it's awesome. I want you to read the book of Nehemiah this week. Make it a challenge. It's 13 chapters. Don't be lazy. Amen? Read through it. It's a good, it's a good chapter. But listen, listen what happens. So the king sends him with letters for safe passage and, and with the officers from the army and the king's horsemen. Can you imagine this scene? <laughs> this one little Jewish man. <clears throat> He's traveling with the king's army, the king's officers, and the king's horsemen. And he's going through miles and miles of enemy land. And nobody can touch him. Oh, you're not excited. You don't know what the power of God can do. Nobody can touch him. Nobody can stop him because he has letters from the king. Listen, somebody grab this today. Nobody can stop you because you got a letter and a mandate and a purpose from the king. From the king. And somebody going to ask you, who do you think you are to change this? I got a purpose from the king. You, I got, I got, oh man. Come on family, let's dream big this year. Let's set some really high goals this year. Some really big expectations. Let's get letters from the king and be about his business. Amen? Let's do good works. The story gets better and better and better. Say, keep on. Okay, I was going to stop, but now I'll keep on. So, so he gets there, and as soon as he arrives, two men, Sambalat and Tobias, they get upset. I mean, you know, when you start to do something, the enemy gets upset. People around you get jealous. People start to hate. Hate is going to hate. Amen? Naysay is going to naysay. Amen? Just to put it in King James. See, the enemy is totally fine with Christians as long as they don't do anything. So Nehemiah examines the city. He gets there. He's safe. He gets there with his Home Depot, with everything he needs. He gets there. He's safe. He looks around and he sees the gates have been destroyed. He sees that the walls are down. And so he gathers all the nobles and the priests and the officials. And then he tells them, listen, God's hand. Look, look how God's hand is on me. And he shows them everything that he, he did to get here and how God released everything. And so he encouraged the people so much that they say, the word says, they say, let's rise up 
and let's build. I wish there was 10 people in here that would say, let's rise up and let's build. Let's put three floors on this building and put a school, a charter school, an elementary school, a high school, a special needs school, a daycare. Come on, man. I wish there was some in here that would say, let's rise up and let's build. And so, so watch this. Sambala and Tobias make fun of them because, you know, they, they're... they're they make fun of them, but they're not discouraged. They start laughing at them, and they're like, yeah, right, you guys are going to build. You guys have been doing it for 100 years. You, you, you knuckleheads can't build these walls. And this guy's going to come, and with a little ha-ha, with a little speech, he thinks he's going to build these walls and fix these gates. And so they, they, they make fun of them. And, and chapter 3 is my favorite chapter in all of Nehemiah. It's so hard to read. Can we put chapter 3 of, of Nehemiah up there? I know I didn't tell you that, but when you get there, just throw it up there, starting in verse 1. It's such a hard chapter to read, but it's amazing because of the names. So watch this. It says, this is what happens after you encourage people to build. It says, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work. So let's say this is Eliashib and his high priest. I want you guys to come and stand right here facing because you went to work. Eliashib and the high priest, and they went to work, and they rebuilt the sheep gate, and they set his doors in place, building it as far as the tower, and then, and then they decorated as far as the tower of Hananel, and then the men of Jericho, I need three or four men of Jericho building the adjoining section. Come on, quick, 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 we don't got time all day. Come on, three men of Jericho, and, they, and the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, the son of Imri, built next to him, and the fish gate were re- rebuilt by the sons of, of who's here? The sons of Hanasananabasaba, whatever. The sons, give her another son. That's all right, stand up, you're good. Come on, another. And so they rebuilt. And then, and so then the men of Jericho built and the, and the fish gate sons. Okay. And so they laid these beams and they put his doors and bolts into place. You're putting doors and bolts into place. And then verse 4, Merimoth, the son of Uriah. Where, where you at? And the son of Hakok. Where you at? I'll change it. The son of Garcia and the son of Rivera and the son of Gonzalez. Come on. And then the family of Garcia, they repaired the next section over here and they made repairs. And then over here, the Martinez's, come on. And they started building and the son of, and they repaired the next section. And next to him, Meshulalim, son of Barariah Kayaba and son of Meshazi. This is hard to read. They made repairs. And then next to him, Zadok, son, who's Zadok? Come on, where's Zadok? You are Zadok. You are Zadok. Come on. And Zadok. Oh, that's powerful. I don't even know what that means, but look it up. Son of Bena made repairs. And the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. Where the men of Tekoa? You guys are missing. Let's go. The men of Tekoa. Come on, line that up. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to work under the super. So the Jessup Sanaba gate was repaired by Joiada. Where's Joiada over there? Come on. Come on. And so the next section was repaired by them. And so they laid its beams and they put its doors with the bolts. And so next to them, repairs were made from, from Gideon and Mizpah. Who's Mizpah? Where you at? Mizpah, wake up. Wake up, Mizpah. Malaysia of Gideon and Jadon of, of Merimoth placed under the authority of the governor. Of, and so then Uziel, son of Harai. Where's Uziel, son of Harai? And... and and they repaired the next section. And Hananiah, and, and one, who's Hananiah? Give me Hananiah. And they made repairs next to that. And, and they kept on. All of verse 30, all of chapter 32. The chapter reads like this for 32 verses. Keep it going. 
Keep it going. Where the rest of the people? Keep it going. And so, and so they kept on. And, and what was awesome is that this family chose to work on this part of the wall. And next to them, this family chose to work on this part of the wall. And next to them, these two brothers, this is Hatabatabala and, and Mushubala. And they, and they started working on the gate. And so they were the strong guys. So they were putting the bolts and the, and, 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 you know. And so then this side of the family started working on next to them. Understand, they worked and then they worked right next to them so that they could build their beam next to their beam. Even though they might not have agreed with each other. Oh, hold up. Hold up. Hold up. The Meshubalalas and the Meruvians, they, they might not have never gotten along. But they said, I'm going to work alongside them. And I'm going to build this part of the gate. And, and, this, and the Garcias and, the, and, the, and they said, I'm going to build this. And the Rodriguez's and, and they said, I'm going to build. And the, and the people of God started building. Oh, this is nice. And, the, and the, this is nice. And so listen, listen. When the walls were halfway up. Oh, this is exciting. When the walls were halfway up all around, Sambala and Tobias, they were enraged. And they were talking with the army of Samaria and making fun of the work that they were doing. And so Nehemiah got word that they were going to attack and kill them. They were going to kill you guys. To stop. They were going to kill you to stop you from building the walls. And so Nehemiah got word because when you're working with God, God will get word to you and, and expose all the enemy's plans. That's why you got to pray. That's why you got to fast. Because when you're connected with God, the enemy's plans are exposed. And so they were working and they were working and they were working. They're busy throwing brick and wood and whatever it was. And they ain't got time to worry about nothing else, right? But Nehemiah gets word that the enemy is going to attack and kill them. So in open places, this is Nehemiah, the word of God says, in open places, I stationed people by their clans with their swords and with their spears and with their bows, bows. So I need some other families to stand in and start to fill in the gap. Come on, come on, get up, get up, get up. This interactive church today. So you guys are not building the walls. No, no, get off the walls. You guys are standing in spaces in, in, in front of them and around them to protect them to those that are building the walls. And so you, by clans, you said the Martinez clan, we're coming out and we got our shotguns and we got our handguns and we got, but back then it was spears and bows and whatever. And so they were set guard to protect the other family. The Martinez and the Garcia family don't even get along, but they said, I'm going to protect them while they build. Because we, we're working with one, oh man. <laughs> watch this, watch this. Watch this. And he said, and so I looked and I arose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, this is a brave heart speech. I picture Nehemiah with half his face blue and he's going back and forth on a horse and he's speaking to all the people. And he says this, he says, do not be afraid of them. Listen, remember the Lord who is great and who is awesome and fight, fight for your brothers and for your sons and for your daughters and for your wives and for your homes. That's better than Braveheart. Watch this, watch this. And the word says, and so half of them worked while half of them guarded. Oh man. <laughs> and, the, and then at one point, listen, at one point, Start to spread out, and you guys start to come in to them. Make yourselves into the line. Those that were present there, yeah, start to spread out. And you guys start working on the wall. 
Because it says, listen, listen, at one point, look what happened. Look what happened. Pay attention. Don't be distracted. At one point, it says the builders had a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. The workers had a tool in one hand. So in one hand, they're building the wall. And in the other hand, they had a weapon. Do you see anything more powerful than this? I'm doing God's work, but the word of God, the weapon, the sword of the spirit. Come on. And and so I'm standing with a weapon in one. That's the word and action. Listen, church, we've been called to be repairers of the breach. This This is spiritual, what you're seeing right here. We're called to be repairers of the... You know where we get that expression, stand in the gap? It's from this. Those of you that are sitting, if you see a gap, would you fill the gap? Come on, stand in the gap. God has called us to be repairers of the breach. Watch this, because it's not even over. You think this is over, but it gets better. In Nehemiah 6, the enemy saw that this was coming together too quickly. The half the wall was already built, and they're moving quickly. And so Sambalat and Gesem sent messengers to Nehemiah. He's saying, come and let's meet together. Let's have a meeting. Hold up. He said, let's have a meeting. But Nehemiah knew it was a trap because when you're working for God, God speaks to you when you're praying and you're fasting. God reveals the plans of the enemy. This looks so beautiful. This is overwhelming right now. And so... The enemy said, come, come, let's have a meeting. But Nehemiah knew it was a trap. And so he sent messengers back and he said to them, I am doing a great work and I will not come down. I thought that was going to be a little more powerful. (laughs) I, I am doing a great work and I will not come down. Why should the work stop? While I leave it and come down to you. And so they sent to me four times in this way. Four more times they sent messengers saying, come on, let's talk. Let's talk about this. And he says, I am doing a good work and I will not come down. Can you imagine? Can you imagine when when the time wasters? Can you imagine when the gossipers come when the time wasters come and they say, wait, 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 Bobby, get off the wall for a minute. Let me talk to you. And you say, I am doing a good work and I will not come down. So watch this because now you're not going to be too excited. He dealt with the enemy from the outside and they continued to work. They built this in record time. The entire wall and everything was built in record time. The enemy couldn't believe it. But before they got there, this kind of work... It said they didn't even change their clothes. They never undressed. They never even took off their clothes. Because they never wanted to find themselves naked and unprotected. So they slept with the same clothes on. And they slept working with a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. Whoever said Christians were soft, you got another version of in your head. You haven't read the word because this is powerful. And so then now... But now this kind of work got exhausting. How many of you know sometimes ministries exhaust? Sometimes we get drained. And sometimes coming to work on the same section of the wall is exhausting. And, and you never see any progress sometimes and you get discouraged. And so they were being discouraged. And why? Because they were being oppressed from the inside. 
the officials that were in the city, which were their own people, were overtaxing them and treating them unfairly. Nehemiah now meets with the officials and he says to the officials of the city, no more of this unfair taxing. No more of this interest to your brother. No more of charging people to do the right thing. From now on, restore to everybody back what belongs to them. Oh, come on. See, church, sometimes we are worse to ourselves than our own enemies. Put your heads down. That's shameful. Sometimes we're worse to each other than our enemies are. And so he talks to them. He says, from this point on, no more. No more treating each other unfairly. Can we say that to each other? No more backbiting. No more gossiping. No more judging and being jealous. No more jealousy. No more. Can we restore? Can we deal with the inside right now? Let's bow our heads for a moment. Can we restore honor and dignity to each other? Anyone we've robbed by speaking about them through gossip, through backbiting, can we repent right now before the Lord? Can we clean house from the inside? As we move forward for the rest of the year, worship team, you guys can slip up here if you can. With our heads bowed, can we, can we just repent right now? Can we clean house from the inside? See, we can't be of service to the world. We can't go out and do good works this week if we haven't fixed the house on the inside. To me, this is the most beautiful picture that we could see. I want you to open your eyes and look across the room and look around the room. This is the most beautiful picture that we can see. This is church planting. This is church building. This is how you build. Un understand, if you look around, I don't see any gaps. I love that. I don't see any gaps. That means nobody could get in that doesn't belong. That means we're protecting each other. That means we're covering each other. Let me understand, if, if two of a, if you on the wall get caught up in a, in, a, in a little disagreement, a little spat, and you turn your backs on each other, there's a breach in the wall. And now nobody's safe. Oh, if we saw that, we wouldn't... I challenge you this week to pray, to fast, to redirect your worship. And to walk it out in service after the king. And so right now as we worship for a couple moments right where we are, let's do a, a, I'm scared the building might come down if we start worshiping in the circle. But hey, whatever. God will pay us to build it back up. Amen? Maybe we need some things to come down in the house. Maybe we need some things to be torn down. And so let's do that as we worship in this, in this. Man, those of you sitting in the middle, you don't know how blessed you are. I don't know how, I'd be sitting there like, I am so safe. You got to kill so many people here before you get to me. I am so safe in the arms of God, in the protection of God right now, in the covering of God's people. And that's yes, what yes. church should feel like. Come on, bro.